Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. Didn't the band do awesome? Had a great time of worship, great time of praise. You can sit down. Uh, we're singing that song, Set a Fire Down in My Heart set a fire down in my soul as we were singing that from the first time <clears throat> during worship uh, the Lord gave me a picture and uh, I just want you to close your eyes if you will see it if you can um, then you can tell me what the Lord showed me and then we'll know who the prophet is amongst us um, just close your eyes just for a minute I want you to imagine that your life can be uh, can be displayed in a, in a range of coloured glass bottles or vases and that all each one of your character personality traits and things like that is represented by a colored glass or a vase and these are all out on display and this is the way that God intended for you to be this is the way he created you to be and over the course of your life you know we make choices and some of those choices aren't very good and uh, the Bible calls those choices sin and what happens when we sin is we take a hold of those things that God created us to be, the good things that he created us to be, and it's like we take that glass vase and we smash it on the floor. And it breaks, and we end up with all these pieces of colored glass on the floor. And as we go on, we make other choices, and we take another one of those things, and we just smash it on the floor. And maybe there's somebody else in your life, somebody who's close to you or maybe you don't know them and they go and grab something that is beautiful, something that God created you to be and they take that and they smash it on the floor. And what we end up with is this pile of broken glass on the floor. And you know, this is what the Lord was saying to me. He was saying that this is what all of our lives are like. God created us all to be beautiful. God created us all unique. Each one of those glass vases has its own unique character, its own unique forms. And that's the way he created to be. But sin has smashed what God created for you to be. And instead, we end up with broken glass. And when we touch it, it hurts and it cuts us and we bleed. I just want to show you when we were singing that song, I saw something really incredible. See, what God does is he looks over the broken glass of your life and he takes every single one of those pieces and he started to fit them together into a stained glass window. And so he recreates you, recreates you, takes those things that other people have broken, that your own sin has smashed, and he begins to piece it together and it starts to look different. And then what he does, he takes his Holy Spirit and he puts his Holy Spirit inside of you. And all of a sudden, the light, that fire of the Holy Spirit begins to shine inside of you. And what happens is we end up with this incredible lantern, which is multicolored and sheds light of different colors and different shades and different patterns as it glows out into the world. And that's what God wants for each one of you. He wants you to know that it doesn't matter how much of your life has been ruined, how much of your life has been wrecked. God is able to take the pieces of your heart and put them back together again and shine the light of his Holy Spirit through them. And you know what? You're going to end up better 
and the end. I don't know if you've ever been into a church and you've ever looked at those great big stained glass windows and seen the light as it shines through, but you just get dazzled by it. And that's what happens when you invite Jesus Christ into your heart and you say, Lord Jesus, would you become Lord of my life? He picks up those pieces and he makes a new picture and shines his light through it. And I just want to ask you now, if you've never asked Jesus into your life, if you want the life, your life to have those broken pieces just picked up so that God is going to make something new again, make something beautiful again, make his light shine through you, with everybody else's eyes closed, I just want you to put up your hand right now and just let me know. Thank you. There are several hands going up. I want you to pray this prayer right now. Lord Jesus, everybody pray in the room. Lord Jesus, my life was broken. My life was shattered. But you have come and put me back together. I ask you to be Lord of my life. Will you make of me a new picture? And will put your spirit inside of me and let your light shine through me. In Jesus' name. Thank you. There we go. I just wanted to share that because that was fresh from the Holy Spirit, which now leaves us only 15 minutes for what I have to say, but that's all right. That's okay. I'm going to share uh, a message this evening. By the way, if you put your hand up, we're going to have an opportunity later on. I'd love to come and shake your hand, and I'd love to be able to pray with you. If you put your hand up, and there was quite a few of you who did, we're going to have an opportunity later on for you to come up and while we're praising and we're worshipping and, and we'd like to pray with you. The theme that we're looking at this sort of term for the next few weeks is harvest. And so we got harvest written up there. So when, we, uh, when we're thinking about harvest, it reminded me of the words of Jesus in, uh, in John. Let's see if this works. Look at that. John 4, 34 to 37. Let me read this from me from the New Living Translation. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say to you, wake up and look around, for the fields are ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joys await the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants, another harvests, and it is true. I sent you to harvest where you did not plant, and others have already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. You'll get to gather the harvest. Jesus said these words to his disciples in between speaking to the Samaritan woman and her going off and telling everyone in the village that she just met Jesus. And they came along, of course, and they asked him, you know, what on earth are you doing talking to a Samaritan? You know, we don't do that sort of thing. And Jesus told them this. 
the fields are ripe for harvest. The harvest is ready. And you are going to get to be the harvesters who go out into God's harvest field and reap. There's three things that this passage teaches us. The first thing is context. It gives us a context, it gives us a carrot, and it gives us a command. And the first thing is the context is that evangelism is God's will. It's God's will. Jesus said, my nourishment comes from doing his will. So God's will is that the word gets out, that people get to know who Jesus is and that there is a saviour waiting for them. Also, the context is that we're ready for harvest. We're not waiting in four months' time. We're not waiting until next year. We're not waiting until we built our home for the harvest. The harvest is already ready. The harvest is already out there. Now, the other thing is that we get a carrot. It's not just the context. We get the carrot. What's the carrot? Wages. The harvester is paid good wages. Right? There is a wage that we get for doing the work of evangelism. There's a wage that we get, spiritual wage, when we go and share the word of God with other people and tell everybody how amazing this Jesus is. And the wages are good. They're really good. And they aren't just for now. They actually last for eternal life. So the wages are very, very good. And then there is the command. The command was to go. Go and preach the word. Is that we get to be the harvesters. That's the amazing thing about it. Holy Spirit is put inside our life. And the Holy Spirit empowers us. And we get to be the harvesters. We get to share, not only in their joy now, but in joy for eternity. Timothy, in the New Testament. Timothy was uh, a protege of Paul. Paul took him around and and, uh, he helped Paul do church planting and all sorts of things like that. And Timothy had a gift. And the gift of God on Timothy's life was that he was a pastor. Right? He became the pastor of Ephesus. Right? So Paul left him there and he, he did the work of a pastor. He looked after the people and he cared for the people and he preached the word of God. He did what pastors do. And Paul writes a letter to Timothy and he says to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Why do they ask him to do the work of an evangelist? Because Timothy wasn't an evangelist. Timothy was a pastor. He had a pastor's heart. He loved the people. But Paul was conscious of the fact that the harvest was out there. People needed to know. And so he said to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist, even though his gifting upon his life wasn't to be an evangelist. You know, as a church, we know the importance of speaking the word of God to people. We know the importance of witnessing to other people. And so what we do is we bring evangelists into church to stir us up. And we've got Don McDonnell coming. And Don McDonnell has a gift of evangelism. All right? Everywhere he goes, miracles break out, people get saved. He's got an evangelist heart. We have other people whose main gifting in our church is evangelism. And they go out and they bring people in all the time. And we praise God for them. Not everybody, like Timothy, is called to be an evangelist. We don't, our primary gifting isn't necessarily evangelism. But we bring these people in to stir up the gift. 
Then if you, you remember in Ephesians, all right, Paul again says that some are called to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, pastors and teachers, so that they might teach us and equip us and train us to do the work of the ministry. So if you want to know how to do evangelism, ask an evangelist, because that's what they do. So we get evangelists in and we get them to stir up the gift, the gift of evangelism. And they teach us how to witness. They teach us how to proclaim the word. But it's not always just evangelism and the gift of evangelism that they stir up. Oftentimes when they stir things up, it stirs up other stuff as well. And it's not always comfortable when we have evangelists come. Can I let you into a secret? Can I let you into a secret part of Pastor Doug's heart? Can I? You don't, you're not interested, eh? You don't want to know. Can I, can I let you, can I, can I make myself vulnerable to you? So long as you don't tell Pastor Ross or anyone else. Now I've got your attention, haven't I? I used to cringe when I heard there was an evangelist coming to church. I used to hate it. I'll tell you why. Because I know I need to be a witness. I know how precious people are to God. I know how much they need a saviour. I know how much the word needs to go out. But you know, it frightened me. It frightened me to share because I was uncomfortable talking to people about these things. I had fear in my heart. And so when an evangelist comes, they start to stir up that gift of evangelism. And I start to go, oh, Jesus, I know. I know that you want everybody to get saved. You sent your only son that whosoever might believe would be saved and that would start getting stirred up inside of me and the way that the evangelist would tell me how to do it brought me fear because I had to face some of my fears about how I went out and did that and the problem is is that not only did the gift get stirred up not only did my love and my passion for lost people get stirred up but other things started getting stirred up as well and I I ended up leaving those meetings feeling condemned feeling that I wasn't good enough, feeling that I can't do this, feeling, well, I'm not an evangelist, I'll leave that for other people to do, I'll get on with what God's called me to do. But that's not what the Word of God teaches us. The Word of God says, do the work of an evangelist. The Word of God says, be a witness and go and tell people. So I can't ignore that. I can't ignore those stirrings. I can't ignore the things that God have told me to do. And yet... Every time an evangelist come, I'd be one of the first people up on the front and I'd be asking them to pray. And I'd be asking them to lay hands on me that I can overcome my fears so that I can go out and I can be a witness. And no matter how many times I prayed, no matter how many times I got hands laid on me, no matter how many times I cried out to God to overcome these these insecurities in me, nothing ever changed. Nothing ever changed. I'm shocked you now, haven't I? And I know because some of you are being really quiet that you're actually relating to that right now. But I'm not going to ask you to stick your hands up because that would make you vulnerable. We all have natural strengths and we all have natural weaknesses. There are some things that every single one of us, all right, has something inside of us which is, it is a strength. It is something that we're confident with. It is something that we're bold with. And we've also got things inside of us which makes us vulnerable. 
And there are areas of weakness in our heart that really, if we, if we are open and honest, it hurts. So we tend to close those things off and we tend not to expose ourselves in those particular areas. You see, if we have an area of weakness, or we have an area of vulnerability in our lives, we want to protect that. And that's natural. We want to protect it. We don't want to go exposing it because we've either been hurt in that area or it's just not part of who we are. It's not part of our makeup. We're not comfortable with it. So we don't want to expose it. And then we get people like evangelists come along and saying, hey, be vulnerable. Open yourself up. Tell everybody. It hurts. It, it's, it, do you know, it actually causes real conflict in some people. It really causes conflict in somebody who may be introverted or reserved to think, oh, no, now I've got to go out and start telling the world. That creates a real conflict inside of a person's life and can be very stressful. So what happens, you see, is that when we try, and I've done this, I've done this many times, all right, I have areas of vulnerability. I have areas of weakness, all right? And what happens is because I'm not confident in certain aspects of sharing my faith, what happens is when I try to push through that, I've got all these layers of vulnerability, and then I try and take the good message of the gospel, and I try to push it through my vulnerabilities. I try to push it through my fears, and the way that it gets received by the other person is that it comes through as though I am being disingenuous, that it's not coming through with authenticity, and that they can sense in my tone of voice and they can sense in my attitude the way that I am that I'm trying to hide something. And it makes them feel suspicious about the message that I'm bringing. Now, that's not a problem with the gospel. That's a problem with the way that I'm trying to communicate it because I'm trying to push it through my vulnerabilities. And they can sense that. They can pick that up. And so I don't actually do the message of the gospel much good when I'm trying to do that. We know that Jesus loves people. Everybody knows that. Jesus loved us. And if all of us are being real, every single one of us would want to be able to share the gospel in a manner which was genuine and authentic. Every single one of us but we find that we pull away and we disengage from being a witness or sharing the gospel with people in certain circumstances and situations. But pulling away from evangelism really is not an option because we know from the word that Jesus puts a premium on it, that God puts a premium on it. So we need to find another way. What if? What if? What if I could find a way to overcome my vulnerability and share Jesus from a place of confidence in a way that comes across as authentic? What if I could do that? What if you could do that? You know, for those who don't, aren't really comfortable, you know, with sharing the gospel with somebody, what if you could overcome that? What if you could really be as confident as some of those evangelists that you see out there? Well, that brings me to the title of my message. The title of my message is Strength-Based Evangelism, Finding Your Authentic Voice. 
Because every single one of you has got a strength. Every single one of you has an authentic voice. Because it's the way that God's created you to be. It's the way that God's designed you to be. And do you know what? Witness is such an important aspect of our faith and a part of who we are, that God has created a way for every single one of you to do it in accordance with your strengths and not having to push it through your weaknesses and your vulnerabilities. So what we're going to do is I'm going to go through some of these and I'm going to tell you, because you want to know, don't you? Of course you do. Confidence comes from strength. So if you want to be confident in how to preach the gospel, you want to be confident in sharing your faith, it has to come from a place of strength. It can't come from a place of weakness because people will sense that. When you are confident, it's coming from a position of strength. And that's going to show in our voice. It's going to show in our body language. And it's going to be received by the others as being genuine It's going to be received by others as being authentic because it is. It's the message of the gospel connecting with your genuine voice and strength that's going to come through. And what happens is when you begin to start working from a place of strength rather from a place of weakness and vulnerability is you'll actually begin to take greater steps of faith. You'll take greater risks of faith. Why? Because you're confident. You're confident in who you are confident in what God says, confident in what God wants to share with other people, and it's coming through you in an authentic manner. So what I was doing is I thought I'd have a look at the different ways in which God has created us to be. And there's been a lot of research, and there's a lot of stuff out there, um, you know, sort of helping us to understand who we are. And there's a, there's a particular model, which you can, anybody can look up, it's, it's, it's well known, and, uh, and is the basis of a lot of research into people's personality and things like that. And it's called the Big Five. It's called the Big Five or the five-factor model. And uh, it's based around five basic character traits. And every single one of us should be able to identify at least one of these as a strength in our own personality and our own character. So what I've done is I've mapped our strengths of personalities and characters over some evangelistic opportunities. So we should be able, as we go through this, identify where we are and see which kind of evangelistic endeavor fits us best so we can be confident and strong about sharing the gospel. How's that sound? All right, let's have a look at the first one. Openness to experience. Openness to experience. Now, because we're short on time, I'm going to read through a paragraph, and I just want you to, as I read through it, have a look at the bullet points, because those are just sort of highlighting some of the things that people who are open to experience are strong in. So we're not talking about the other end of the scale, right? People who are closed to experience, we're talking about the strength. You're open to experience, right? And as I read through with this one and the others, have a listen, see if it rings some bells with you, see if it, it chimes any of those chords with you. Openness is a general appreciation for art, emotion, adventure, unusual ideas, imagination, curiosity, and a variety of experiences. People who are open to experience are intellectually curious, they're open to emotion, sensitive to beauty, and willing to try new things. They tend to be, when compared to clothes people, more creative and more aware of their feelings. 
they are more likely to hold unconventional beliefs. A particular individual, however, may not have an overall high level of openness. Uh, they may be interested in learning and explore new cultures but have no great interest in art or poetry. So if you have a look at that list there and you see, you know, you've got art and things like that up there and you think, oh, I'm not interested in art, right? That doesn't mean that you're not open. It just means that some of those areas of openness, right, lie in different areas for you. You may be the sort of person that just loves to go out uh, to exotic places on holiday and experience new cultures and strange foods, all right? That means you have an openness, right? You have an openness to new experiences, but you may not be interested in art, okay? Another characteristic of an open sort of personality is a facility for thinking in symbols, okay? So abstracts, symbols, that sort of thing. So rather than being absolutely real and concrete, okay, they can think in sort of abstract terms. People who score low in openness, on the other hand, tend to be more conventional and have traditional interests. They prefer plain, straightforward and obvious things, nothing which is over-complex, things which aren't ambiguous or subtle. They may regard the arts and sciences with suspicion or view these endeavours as uninteresting. Closed people prefer familiarity over novelty. These are the sort of people that don't like change. Right? Don't like change at all. I'm not open to anything changing and nothing new. Thank you very much. I like things the way they are and they can stay the same. Right? But we're talking about a strength here. We're talking about evangelizing from a position of strength. So if you any of those things there sort of ring true with you, as in being open, you might think to yourself that you identify with any one of these sort of sayings here, that you have a rich vocabulary, that you have a vivid imagination. You would say that you have excellent ideas, that you are quick to understand things, that you use difficult words, or that you're full of ideas. On the contrary, at the other end of the scale, you might say that I am not interested in abstractions, I do not have a good imagination, or I have difficulty understanding abstract ideas. So if you identify with that first list, then you're probably somebody who is open. You have an openness to experience. So what does that mean for evangelism? The sort of evangelistic activities that you should be thinking about getting involved in would be things like cross-cultural missions. Because if you are not open to experiencing new places and new cultures, don't become a missionary. All right? So if you are, you should be thinking about things like cross-cultural missions or going on short-term mission trips to India, to PNG or, or any of those sort of places. You should be thinking about evangelizing fringe groups and minorities. Why? Because you're open to the differences that they have. You should be looking at doing things like treasure hunts. All right? If any of you don't know what a treasure hunt is, this is, uh, this is a, a, a sort of a prophetic exercise which, uh, which people do where they will get together. There'll be an evangelistic team. They'll get together and they'll ask the Lord to give them a picture right, of something. Or you know, somebody might see a lamppost. Another person might see a door. Another people, person might see somebody with, uh, wearing a green jacket. And then 
when the Lord's finished giving you all these sort of little visual prophetic clues, you go out into the street and you go looking for them. So you might find a lamppost, there's the door, and you hang around for five minutes, and then look, somebody with a green jacket walks by. Well, you know that's the person you need to be talking to. So that's sort of thing, being open to that kind of sort of experience. Being open to the prophetic also relates to that sort of abstract sort of thing because you're relating sort of something here, a picture, a symbol or something with something over here in reality, right? So there's this, there's this link between sort of almost a, a, an artistic picture and an interpretation, right? That's the kind of thing which usually prophetic people are quite good at. So that's something that you might be involved, get involved in or think about getting involved in. Um, be creative. Visual arts, the written arts, performance arts, all these are mediums which you can be involved in to, to do and express the gospel. You know, if you're good at, uh, at uh, you know, computers, all right, then you can be creative in that and you can create all sorts of stuff you know, to help out. There's creative arts teams. We've got worship teams. We've got all sorts of things like that which can help you find your authentic creative voice because people who are open are usually sort of within that creative realm as well. So use that to your advantage. That is your strength. So what's the key? The key for people who are strong in openness is be creative. Use your God-given imagination and think, what can I do? One of the uh, examples that I'm thinking of now is that, you know, for the past four years, we've had an art exhibition. And the purpose of the art exhibition is that we are able to pictorial and visually express the gospel. And we've had incredible conversations with people who've come along and seen the artwork. And they, they don't come from church backgrounds, but you end up having brilliant conversations with them through a piece of artwork. Now that... It's creative evangelism. So be creative. Whether it's music, whether it's the visual arts, performance arts, whether it's being prophetic, it doesn't matter what it is. If you're one of those person, one of those people who are strong in openness, be creative. That's your key. The next one, conscientiousness. What are the sort of things that a conscientious person looks like? Conscientiousness is a tendency to show self-discipline, to act dutifully, to aim for achievement against measures or outside expectations. Very conscientious people indicate a preference for planned rather than spontaneous behaviour. Right? So you like to have things planned ahead. You like to make sure that you've got your ducks in a row before you actually go out and do something. If somebody throws you a curveball, you'd probably start freaking out. Right? That is not an area of strength for you spontaneity isn't really good for you, it's not going to work for you, and it won't work for you in evangelism either. But planning ahead probably will. So how would you self-identify with being conscientious? You might say that I am always prepared. Whatever it is that you do, you always put time in preparation for it. You may pay attention to details. You may say, I get chores done uh, right away. I like order. I like to follow a schedule. I'm exacting in my work. These are the kind of things that if you're a conscientious person, you'll be chiming with right now and saying, yep, I don't like spontaneity. I don't like disorder. I don't like things done at the last minute. I like things to be planned ahead. So, conversely, 
What happens if you're weak in this area? These are the sort of things that you'll identify with. I leave my belongings around. All right? I make a mess of things. I often forget to put things back in their proper place. I think I remember my mum telling me that one. Um, I shirk from my duties. All right? So just because, you know, you might be the sort of person that, that sort of gets undressed and, you know, kind of leaves your clothes where they fall and then sort of carry on, you know, and do whatever it is, you know, go to bed or whatever. You know, uh, these are the sorts of things, okay? These are generalizations, all right? But if, if those are the sort of things that you identify with, that you just, everywhere you go, it's just chaos and mess, you're probably not a conscientious person. This is not a strength for you, all right? So don't worry about it. But if conscientiousness is a strength for you, you need to find your authentic voice, You need to find some kind of evangelistic activity, some kind of witness which is going to chime with you so that you can be confident and you can be strong in the way that you present the gospel. How do we do that? I'm glad you asked. All right, because there's lots of different ways that you can do. Romans Road to Salvation. Hands up. Who knows Romans Road to Salvation or knows of it? All right. Okay, we've got some old school folk here. All right, we're going to have to do some teaching on that one. Okay, if you read through Romans, there are various passages in Romans, all right, which will actually lead a person through to salvation from, uh, from a person being a sinner right the way through to accepting Christ as his saviour. And it's all based on passages in Romans. So it's nice and easy to remember. There's about six of them. You can learn them off by heart, but you can prepare for it so that when an opportunity comes about, you've got something in your pocket. You've got something you can pull out and you can either pull out the word and take them through that or you can memorize it and you can quote the scriptures to them. The point is that you're prepared for it, that you're not caught on the hop. What's another way of doing it? Um, There's scripts. You can make up your own script, all right? You don't need to use the Romans Road. There's plenty of them. There are other people who like drawing. So if you happen to be somebody who's good artistically, so you've got openness as one of your strengths, and you also happen to be a conscientious person, you might find one of those things where you actually draw a sketch on a napkin, all right? Where you draw a chasm and then you start filling that bit in. As you begin to describe or de- you know, the, 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 the man's condition and what Christ has done, you draw it on a napkin and it ends up with a nice, really nice illustration. That's something you can learn, you can practice, and you can do over the dinner table at a cafe or anywhere else. Again, what's the point? You're prepared because you like order and you like to be prepared so you know what you're doing. Practice your testimony. Practice your testimony. An elevator pitch, right, is where you've got 30 seconds to tell somebody your testimony because that's about as long as you're going to have in an elevator. So you get into an elevator with somebody and close the door and you've got 30 seconds to give them your testimony. And you've got to be well practiced and rehearsed in that if it's going to be effective. All right? But that's the kind of thing that you can do. Um, you can join an alpha group. Why? Because alpha groups are structured. Because alpha groups have got it all nicely laid out. And you can get involved in that because that's going to fit with you. It's going to work for you. So work with your strength. Uh, you've also got other people around as well. Okay, so whether you're actually preaching during an alpha group or whether you're being part of that alpha group, that's one of those things that could work really, really well for you. Gideons are another group, all right? These are the people that go around giving Bibles around, but they also teach you how to share the gospel. They teach you a very simple and very effective way of how to do it. Any one of these things will work for you if you are a conscientious person. What's your key? Be prepared. This is your key. 
If you're the kind of person who likes order and structure, make sure you're prepared and then you'll be working to your strength and you'll come across as confident because you've done it and you practiced it, you know what you're talking about and you deliver it well. Next one. Extraversion. An extraversion of what? Extraversion, extrovert. Some people are extroverted. Some people are introverted. An extrovert is characterized by a breadth of activities. That's the broad, it's the broad river as opposed to the deep river. Broad river. Breadth of activities. They derive their drive from external activities and situations. They, ge- they generate energy, from the, and energy and creation from external means. This is a trait that's marked by an engagement with the external world. So they are extroverted, right? Engaging with the, with the outside world. Extroverts will often enjoy interacting with people. Right? We all know extroverts. They're the ones that go around talking to everybody and chewing their ears off, right? They're the ones that will be able to go outside in the Triple F area after Sunday and meet everybody. Those are extroverted people. Okay. They enjoy interacting with people and are often perceived as full of energy. They tend to be enthusiastic, action-oriented individuals, and they possess high group visibility. In other words, if you want to know who the extrovert is in a group, they're the one that everybody's looking at. All right? They like to talk and they like to assert themselves. So, introverts, on the other hand, have a lower social engagement and energy levels than extroverts. They tend to seem quiet, low-key, deliberate, or less involved in the social world. They lack social involve- Their lack of social involvement, however, shouldn't be misinterpreted as shyness or depression. Instead, they are more dependent on their social world than extroverts are. Introverts need less stimulation from the outside than extroverts, and they need to spend more time alone. This does not mean that they are unfriendly or antisocial. Rather, they're just reserved in social situations. So, you know, if you find that somebody is a little bit more withdrawn, or you're married to somebody who isn't as extroverted than you, make sure you give them space. They need it because they recharge from not being around people. Whereas extroverts recharge from being around people. So you need to understand those kind of dynamics. So, extrovert. Are you an extrovert? Extroverts make for brilliant evangelists. Okay, so these are our natural evangelists would probably be extroverted. All right? Love people, love talking, love what you say, and... uh, what are the kind of things that you would self-identify with? I'm the life of the party, right? They're always in the middle of it. They don't mind being the center of attention. They feel comfortable around people. They would start conversations. They talk a lot to different people at parties. What do introverts do? Quite the opposite. They don't talk a lot. They, don't th- they think a lot before they speak or act. They don't like to draw attention to themselves. They're quiet around strangers and they have no intention of talking in large crowds. None whatsoever, right? And there's nothing wrong with that, all right? But we're talking about strength-based evangelism. So what are the strengths of an extrovert? 
Street evangelism would be an awesome thing for you to get involved in, right? Why? Because you're out in the public. People are looking at you, all right? So street evangelism would be great. Evangelistic crusades would be great. Make sure you throw in a nice, generous smattering of spontaneous encounters because that's the sort of thing that extroverts thrive off of. You thrive off of that spontaneity. You thrive off of being able to be in the moment, all right? So you make sure you do that. Don't over-plan if you're an extrovert. And just walk across the room, right? If you find yourself in a room, just go and talk to somebody. Spark up a conversation, right? What is the key if you're an extrovert? Engage people, right? You are natural engagers, you extroverts. So go and do it. Go and engage somebody. Go and start a conversation with an introvert. They'll thank you for it because they're not going to approach you. Then we've got agreeableness. How are we doing for time? Well, we're well over time. Do you want me to carry on or not? All right, let's go. Rapid fire. Okay, agreeableness. This is a trait that reflects individual differences in general concern for social harmony. All right, like things to be wah, nice, peaceful. Agreeable individuals value getting along with other people. They're generally considerate, kind, generous, trusting and trustworthy, helpful and willing to compromise their interests with others. Agreeable people generally have an optimistic view of others and life. Disagreeable individuals, however, place self-interest above getting along with others. They're generally unconcerned with other people's well-being and are less likely to extend themselves to other people. Sometimes their scepticism about others' motives cause them to be suspicious, unfriendly, and uncooperative. Now, being agreeable and being, you know, the sort of person that likes to, to get along with people actually lends itself to a particular leadership trait, and that is transactional leadership, okay? Transactional leadership, what it looks like in church, is it's a style of leadership where the leader works with people to identify the need for change, they create vision to guide the change through inspiration, and they execute that change in tandem with other committed members. Sounds fantastic. All right? So agreeable people, people who like to get along with other people, that's the kind of thing, and and they make good leaders. Agreeable people and extroverted people, if you're both of those and you're really strong, right, Stick them, in, stick them in a position of leadership. Man, you'll go great guns with somebody like that. So, um, what does it look like? What are the sort of things that agreeable people say? I'm interested in people. I sympathize with others' feelings. I have a soft heart. I take time out for others. I feel others' emotions. And I make people feel at ease. What if you're not agreeable? All right, I'm not really interested in other people at all. All right, I insult people. I am not interested in other people's problems uh, and I feel little concerned for other people because it's all about me. So, what are the sort of things that you can get involved? What is your authentic evangelistic activity if you're an agreeable person? Service helps or evangelism. You love people. You serve them anyway. So, make that part of your evangelistic voice. Bayside Blitz. 
That's where we send guys out and they go and help people mow people's lawns. It's all about serving people in our community. That's an awesome thing for agreeable people to get involved in. You can serve on an evangelistic team. You don't have to be the person up front, but just serve. Just serve. Friendship evangelism. It probably works for you better than any other kind because you, you make friends anyway. It doesn't matter whether you're introverted or extroverted. You make friends because you're an agreeable kind of person. You care what other people think. So make friends with them and then tell them about Jesus. Prayer evangelism. Get involved in praying for people's needs. You know, at people at work. I've done this at work. I've, I've been talking to people and they've told me about stuff in their life. And so I've said, can I pray for you? And so I pray and then I check out. And I say, you know what? How did it go for you? And they would say, oh, actually, things got a bit better. Well, guess what? You've just helped share the gospel right there because you care for people. All right. Saying to an agreeable introvert, somebody who loves people, cares for people, but is introverted, doesn't like putting themselves out there, if you say to them, you have to overcome your fear of man (laughs) when it comes to evangelism, all right, just overcome your fear of man. It's both condemning and it's fruitless. It ain't going to do you any good telling them that. Agreeableness is most likely concerned with emotional intelligence. So people who know how other people feel, all right, you're never going to get any change out of somebody by saying, get over yourself, all right, or just get over your fear of man. It's, you know, it's, it's, you've got a problem. You need therapy, right? And all the extroverted evangelists are all saying, yeah, just get over it. Just, just go and get some counseling, you know? Right? But that's just not the case. And you know what? If you're an agreeable person and you're an introvert, you're not going to change because that's the way God made you. But it doesn't mean that you can't evangelize. It just means that the way you evangelize is going to be different to the way an extrovert is going to evangelize. So let's not condemn one another for the way that we are. Rather, let's celebrate our differences. Let's celebrate the things that we do differently and the way that God has made us. And let's find the way to share the gospel. The key for agreeable people is love people to death. Love people into the kingdom because that's who you are. It's the way God made you. And he's not going to unmake you. He's not going to make you into something that you're not. But he will shine his light through you. He'll shine his light through your agreeableness, through your introvertedness, through your extrovertedness, through whatever way that he's made you. And you'll shine out to the world, but it'll be in a way that's authentic. It's going to be a way that's a strength for you and not a weakness. I hope you're not falling asleep. I've only got one more to go. Neuroticism. I said neuroticism. Okay. Some people might think, what on earth has that got to do with being an evangelist? Well, how is that on earth a strength? Neuroticism is a tendency to experience negative emotions such as anger, anxiety, and depression. It is sometimes called emotional instability. Now, there was a, there was a study done in 1967 on a theory of personality, and they found that neuroticism was interlinked with a low tolerance for stress and an aversion to external stimuli. Those people who are high in neuroticism are emotionally reactive and vulnerable to stress. All right, so you would be the sort of people that when something happens, you get wound up real quick, 
right? You would go from being relatively stable to instantly jumping to 10, right, on the stress levels, okay? They're more likely to interpret ordinary situations as threatening and minor frustrations as hopelessly difficult. Their negative emotional reactions tend to persist for unusually long periods, uh, which means that they're often in a bad mood. Now, before you nudge your husband, all right, right, his bad mood doesn't necessarily mean he's neurotic. Okay. Neuroticism is connected to a pessimistic approach towards work, confidence that work impedes personal relationships, and apparent anxiety is linked to work. Okay, so there's all sorts of stuff going on with somebody whose personality is basically on sort of that glass half empty scale. All right. The problems in emotional regulation can diminish the ability of a person to think clearly, to make decisions, and to cope effectively with stress. And this can lead to clinical depression. Okay, so it's this is difficult for some people, all right? But again, you know, I have heard it say from the pulpit, you know, uh, you're a Christian, you shouldn't get depressed. I'm sorry, but again, that's really unhelpful for people who suffer from depression. It really is. This is very ungracious too, all right? So let's be a little bit more gracious to people whose glass is half empty rather than those who think the glass is always half full. At the other end of the scale, individuals who score low in this area are less easily upset and less emotionally reactive. They tend to be calm, emotionally stable, and free from persistent negative feelings. Freedom from negative feelings does not mean that people who are low scorers in this area experience a lot of positive feelings. It just means that you don't react to things negatively. Now, you're thinking to yourself now, where on earth are you going with this? How can you possibly have a, a, a strength in this area and evangelize from this area? Well, let's have a look. How would you self-identify? I get irritated easily. I get stressed out easily. I get upset easily. I have frequent mood swings. I worry about things. I'm much more anxious than most people. The other end of the scale, I'm relaxed most of the time and I seldom feel blue. One of the things that we find in in this particular area is that neuroticism can change in response to positive and negative influences in your life. So you can become less neurotic the more good things happen to you, all right? Which means that it suggests to us that this isn't a fixed trait. It's not something that you're destined to be for the rest of your life, okay? Because it it does change over time. It has more to do with the way that you believe and more to do with how you interpret the world and interpret circumstances. And that is something that you can learn to reverse. So it's as much a learnt behaviour and a learnt trait as anything else. Again, don't call a neuro- and tell a neurotic person just to get over it. Again, you're probably likely to make them really stressed and very angry. All right, But just don't. It's not helpful. It's not helpful for them. It's not helpful for you. Because at the end of the day, you don't know what colours their world. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know the stresses and the strains that have been on their life and the things that they've had to carry and the things they've had to bear. So don't, please don't judge people if you find that you know somebody or you might yourself give yourself a bit of grace, give yourself a bit of slack. 
And don't judge people who are on antidepressants either, okay? Because it's good for them. It's good for them. And you know what? Jesus is very comfortable in who they are. He's very happy with who they are. And it's between them and Jesus how Jesus helps them through that. And it's really not helpful for us to be judging people if they find difficulties in these particular areas. So let's be gracious. Let's move on to the positive in this, okay? Um, if you're a, a glass-half-empty person, or you might be the sort of people who, who, who look at the world like this, can also be people like, anybody know here, uh, De Bono's Six Hats? Six Thinking Hats, yeah? All right? Neurotic people tend to be black hat thinkers, right? Now, black hat thinkers mean that you will always find things that are wrong in what, what's going on, right? Now, that isn't necessarily a bad trait. That can be actually really good. It can be really good to have a black hat thinker on your team because they'll be the people that will ground all of those extroverted people who tend to be very evangelistic, all right? Because when you get two people saved, you ask an evangelistic person, how did the crusade went? Well, they'll tell you revival broke out, all right? You ask the black hat thinker and they'll tell you it was two. It was two, all right? Well, how many people turned up to your conference? Oh, mate, we had a packed-out room. Ten people turned up. <laughs> okay? You want people like this on your team because they were real thinkers. These people are grounded in reality. Not only that, you also want them helping you work out your program because they're very good at seeing the details in things and actually coming up with the opposite because we do. You know, glass half-full people, all right, we, we look through the world through rose-tinted glasses and there's a, there's a tinge of unreality to that, all right? And, and these kind of people, right, they'll ground you, they'll help you. Make sure you've got one of them on your team, all right? Uh, what are the kind of things that are authentic evangelistic activities for neurotic people? That's a terrible thing to call someone neurotic. Anyway, um, sympathetic evangelism, all right? You've been through things that a lot of people have never been through, which gives you a great place of empathy. You know what people have been through. You know what depression looks like. You know what it's like, you know, uh, to be stressed out of your brain. And you know what? You can connect on a level that other people can't connect. So you can try being evangelistic by being empathetic to other people and saying, hey, look, you know what? I I'm not perfect. I struggle. All right? But I know that Jesus is a good saviour and he's a good God. And this is how he's helped me. You can be empathetic. So you can turn what other people, I'm sorry to say it, what other Christians might judge you as, you can turn that to your strength. You can turn it to your strength. You can use your personal testimony. Okay? Because again, your personal testimony will touch other people in a ways that other people can't do. All right? Be part of an evangelistic team. Why? Because a team needs you, needs you to ground it, all right? Make sure that you input into evangelistic planning and program development because, you know what, we just need you. We just need you. There's a place and a room and a kingdom for everybody, all right? So these, this is your authentic voice. You will be able to be honest and open with a person about your own faults and your own failings and that will come across with an authentic voice and that will connect with somebody and that will produce fruit in somebody else's life. Whereas another person who's all flower and roses and rainbows, all right, they're just, they're just not going to connect. All right? Find your authentic voice. Find your authentic voice. 
we are way over time and I'm going to close it right there. Sorry about the length of that one. There's a lot of stuff to cover. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.